I'm still catching my breath from worship. All right, hey, that was wonderful. I want to say a welcome to everyone in the house today. So good to see you. My name is Daniel. I'm, I'm part of the team here at Eden. And, uh, and I just want to say a special welcome to all of you who are joining us online. We love that you can stay connected wherever you are. If you're in the family room, we haven't forgotten about you. We got nothing but love for you. And uh, we're grateful that you get to be a part of this service as a family. And then uh, last but not least, uh, we want to give a special welcome to those of you who are here uh, at the church for the first time. And we realize uh, that for many people, that's a big step to walk into a place like this. And we're so, so glad that you did. Uh, I'll be standing uh, outside the doors of the auditorium at the guest table uh, after we have baptisms. I'll be there and uh, would love to get, uh, get a chance to meet you, get your name. And uh, we have a, a small gift as a thank you for being, being a part of uh, the service this morning. I uh, do want to just say a special note about baptism, and we, we love to try to give some direction every time we offer it, but if you have ever made the step to follow Jesus, but you've never gone public with your faith through believer's baptism, I would love for you to consider doing that this morning, and maybe at some point through the music or the message or uh, at some point through the service, may, if you feel prompted to do that, uh, during the last song, uh, you can go ahead and make your way to the baptism table just outside uh, the doors of the auditorium, and we'd love to get you all the information. Uh, like was already mentioned, uh, we have everything you need, and so we'll make sure uh, to get you, get you everything you need if that's a decision you want to make this morning. I uh, also want to make one little comment about our next-gen heroes. If you guys have been here for the last few weeks, you know that we've been in a campaign called Next Gen Heroes, and this has really been in response to the growth that we've been seeing in our Eden Kids ministry. And uh, we're so, so grateful that so many kids and so many families are getting connected to the church. And this is what we call a good problem, that there are actually so many kids in the church that we don't have uh, enough volunteers to adequately support what's happening. And it has always been our heart. We wanted to have a kids' ministry where the kids begged their parents to come back to church. Okay? And that's a, a strategy because if, even if the parents don't like my preaching or my teaching, they'll still come back because the kids want to be here. Okay? So that's been our goal, and we've been doing that over the last several weeks, and we set a goal of, of uh, bringing in 20 new volunteers uh, in the month of August, and I have some amazing news. In the last few weeks, we've had 11 people step in and sign up for our Eden Kids ministry, and that's been huge, 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 and so a special thank you to all those who have done that, but also want to extend the invitation if you have been considering it, wondering if it's for you, uh, if you fill the card out, you're not signing your life away, uh, but it's just inviting you into a conversation and uh, giving you more information, but I think that if you step into this ministry, uh, as much as you will be a blessing to these children, they will be a blessing to you. So uh, if that's you, take some time, fill out the card, turn it in, and uh, we'd love for you to be a part of the team. Uh, last but not least, uh, in the last week or so, uh, the church has been uh, in seven days of prayer and fasting, and I just have to tell you, every time we pause throughout the year to do this as a community, it is a transformative experience and uh, it always is for me personally. And one of the things that I, I'm so encouraged about is, is whenever we do like the Bible app and we do a devotional together, we're reading scripture, I just realize how, how God has been working in so many people's lives. And uh, this last week was no different. Normally I hate when I get my notifications and I have to go check and see what it is. But in this case, I was getting notifications all throughout the day that people were sharing thoughts and sharing their heart. Uh, through the app, and I was so excited to get on the app and, and read people's uh, responses. So for those of you who are able to be a part of that, I just want to say a huge thank you. 
Now today we are uh, in week three of a series that we've been calling People of Promise. Uh, this series has been uh, a chance for us to, to remember the type of people that God has called us to be. And, uh, and for those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus, this really applies well. But even if you're here today and you're exploring faith and you might not refer to yourself as a Christian, I think that a lot of what we talk about today will still apply uh, to the everyday rhythms of, of your life. In week one, we looked at the life of a guy named uh, Hosea. He was a prophet. And the thing that we were reminded about, about Hosea's life is that even when we are not walking in alignment with God, even when our life seems to be distant from God, there is never one moment where God has forgotten the promises that he has made to his people. When he looks at your life, no matter what state you are in, he is always looking at your life through the lens of his promises for you. And I hope that that's an encouragement to some of us today. Because we may be in a season of life where it doesn't seem like things are going the way that we hoped that they would be, but you ought to know that there is someone who still sees uh, you for the greatest potential uh, that you have available. Week two, we were reminded of the power of prayer. And, uh, and for some reason, in God's goodness and in his plan for this world, uh, God has allowed for us to have access to the most tender parts of his heart through prayer. And what that does for us is, is it means that when we pray to God, it is not just God sh changing us, which that is like 90% of what happens when we, when we come to God in prayer. But the other part of that is that when we pray to God, he actually hears what we are praying. He hears uh, the words. He, we have his attention. And, and, and scripture tells us that, that uh, our prayers influence God's heart. It touches God's heart. And so uh, these last few weeks have been wonderful. If you've missed any of the talks, you can always go to our YouTube channel, uh, Eat in the Church, and uh, follow there and, and catch, get caught up to speed. But today I want to talk about the awkward but necessary value of being a good neighbor. I want to talk about the awkward, sometimes awkward, but very necessary value of being a good neighbor. And so uh, to do that, we're going to be in the New Testament. That's the second half of the Bible. It talks about the life of Jesus and the development of the early church. And we're going to be reading out of one of the four mini biographies found in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're also referred to as the gospel accounts. And we're going to be reading primarily uh, from uh, the account written by, by Matthew. And we're picking up in a conversation that Jesus was having with uh, a group of Pharisees who were trying to cause some problems. So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. It says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses. Jesus replied, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So the backstory of this conversation is that there was an expert in the law who was trying to stump Jesus. Actually, he was trying to get Jesus to say something that would get him arrested. And so he asked a relatively loaded question, somewhat complicated question. And he says, which of the 613 commandments found in the law of Moses was the most important? And Jesus' response was so brilliant. And this is how you know that Jesus is a master teacher because he was asked a really complicated question, but he gives a really simple response. He said the greatest commandment is to love God. I mean, this is the, 
the greatest commandment that God ever gave his people. He said the first and most important thing that you're supposed to do is to love God. And he goes into detail about what that's supposed to look like. He said not just on Sundays or not during uh, certain times of the week or when you're around other Christian friends, but he says you are to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. In other words, Jesus was saying every part of your being should be directed to, the, to God who is the priority of your life. Love God. And then he said, the next part, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on and he says, everything else that God has ever said about what you are supposed to do is built on these two truths. Love God and love people. And just as a side note this morning, um, I'm not sure how you have defined success in your life. And I imagine, depending on our own personal experiences and where we've come and, and come from and the experiences that we've had in life, maybe success looks different for some of us. I imagine that for some of us, uh, fi finances is, has to do with some part of our definition of success. For others of us, it may be like our career path and development and, and, and some level of career achievement it may be attached to our level of success. For others of you, you're like, I don't even care about money. I just want to be happy. And so a state of being for you is, is, uh, is, is part of how you define success in your life. Others of you have honestly just given up on happiness and you're like, I just want to be around people that I love because that brings me joy. I want to have community. Uh, and, and that may be how you define success. If you have ever wondered how God defines success in life, this is it. If you want to have success according to Jesus' eyes, love God and love others, you are already winning. Someone said, if your purpose is rooted in any other definition of success, it is fragile. If it is rooted in this command, it is untouchable. And so it's interesting then to think about how often we talk about the great commandment when we come together. And this is my suspicion, and as I reflect maybe out of, as a part of our own patterns, this probably is true, but it seems that a lot of times when we come into places like this and we talk about what it means to follow Jesus and we talk about faith, a lot of the content that we talk about, probably about 90% of the content is focused on the first part of that commandment, how to love God. We talk about praying to God and reading scripture so that we know God and asking the spirit to fill us so that we can experience God. A lot of what we talk about, the vast majority, and then the last 10% is kind of everything else. But look at what Jesus says. This was kind of a, a helpful check for me. He says the most important thing in our life is to love God. That's not surprising, right? But this is surprising. He says the second is to love your, your neighbor as yourself. He says it is equal to the first what Jesus is saying is that it is just as important to love your neighbor as it is to love God. And one conclusion that we can come to is to say, okay, well, uh, if loving our neighbor is as important to love God, I can choose one or the other. That's actually the opposite of what Jesus is trying to communicate. He's saying you cannot say that you love God, but you don't also love your neighbor. And some of you are thinking... Uh, does Jesus know my neighbor? Okay? Jesus might not have ever met Bob next door because that's pretty hard to do. If your name is Bob, I apologize. That is just the first name that I came, that came to mind. 
But I heard someone say a while back, he said, don't tell me that you love me, but you don't love my spouse. He said, don't tell me that you love me, but you don't love my children. Because to love me is to love my family. That is what Jesus is saying here. You cannot say that you love God, but you do not love his children, as imperfect as that may be. In fact, we know that this is such an important value to God that he restates the same value 16 times in the New Testament. And there was another account of a conversation that Jesus was having with someone else, and they kind of came to the same conclusion. And as this man was having a conversation with Jesus, he wanted some clarity about who was his neighbor. And so he asked Jesus, who was my neighbor? And Jesus goes on and he starts to tell a story. He tells a parable. And he says there was a story of a man who was walking down a dangerous road one day. And the man was robbed and he was beaten and then he was left for dead. And throughout the course of that day, there were three other people who traveled down that road. The first person was a priest who would have been recognized as a religious leader during that time. And it says the priest saw the man in his condition and did nothing and continued to walk by. The second man was what uh, referred to as the temple assistant, also had some kind of spiritual influence in that time, sort of had the same response as the priest. He saw this man in his condition and decided to keep walking and did nothing to help him. And then finally, there was a third man, and he was a Samaritan. And what we know culturally about the relationship between Samaritan and Jews in the first century is that they didn't have a great relationship. And so the first two people that walked by this hurting man and did nothing would have despised the Samaritan. And so the Samaritan sees the man in his state, instead of continuing and by and doing nothing, he helps the man. He bandages him up. He finds a place for him to get nursed, and he pays for everything. And on the back end of this story, Jesus asked the man who was looking for clarity about what it meant to be a neighbor. He asked him, he said, who do you think was this man's neighbor? And the man responds, verse 37. It says, the one who showed him mercy. So according to Jesus, your neighbor is anyone in front of you that you have the opportunity to care for. Your neighbor is anyone in front of you that you have the opportunity to care for. So that could be your coworker, or your boss, or your classmate, or the person that you see every time you go to the same boba shop or the grocery store. And what's so powerful about the description of what it means to be a neighbor is that there, is, there are no conditions to limit who is your neighbor. It did not specify race or gender or economic status or political affiliation or religious conviction. A neighbor is anyone in front of us that we have an opportunity to care for. And, uh, and I actually think that that is a pretty fair definition based on the passage of Scripture. And it sounds helpful, but here's the problem with it. The problem is that if everyone is your neighbor, then nobody is your neighbor. The problem is that you, if you have such a broad definition of what it means to be a neighbor, and it already fits with the lifestyle that you're living, then it probably will actually not challenge you to change anything about your rhythms. And I wonder if just for a moment, if we thought differently about how to apply this passage to our lives, I wonder if what Jesus said at least meant that we should love our actual neighbors. Dave Runyon, uh, who wrote a book called The Art of Neighboring, tells the story of when him and a few other pastors in the Denver area, uh, Mark, you don't have to come up quite yet. Okay. Uh, sorry, a little, little miscommunication on my end. But he tells the, the story of him and several other pastors in the Denver area 
uh, who were meeting with the mayor, and they just had one question for the mayor. They said, if, if we could, uh, what, what would you want us pastors to do to help the city uh, however we can? And so they gathered as a group of pastors, and the mayor said something really powerful. He said, the majority of the issues that we are facing in our community would be completely eliminated or drastic, drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. And that's a really interesting thought because most of the research supports that statement. Did you know that crime will go down 80% in your neighborhood if the neighbors know each other's names? Did you know that, uh, that you will live longer if you are connected to people in close proximity and you know their names. Your neighbors are usually the first responders in the middle of a crisis because oftentimes systems are overrun in that time and so your neighbors will be the one to respond to you first in a crisis. And so the mayor was right. If followers of Jesus could learn to become great neighbors, we could make a huge difference in our city. But the problem is, or at least as he tells the story, is that most of the pastors in that room generally thought that Christians we're already doing that. Until he talked to another city official and this is what she revealed. She said, from the city's perspective, there is not a noticeable difference in how Christians and non-Christians neighbor in our community. And he said, at that moment I faced a dilemma. And this is it. Can you imagine, as a follower of Jesus, you know that the greatest commandment now, the most important commandment, the most important thing that Jesus ever said for us to do was to love our neighbors as ourselves, but simultaneously, there is no difference to the way that Christians treat their neighbors compared to anybody else. That's kind of a, a dilemma for us. And some people might think that the solution to that problem is to add a few more events to the church calendar, but that's not actually what this is challenging us to speak to. This is a challenge to the church. The people of faith, that make up those, the community of faith to do something about the relationships that they have in close proximity to themselves. And so this is a problem. Because it means, and if this is, was true of them, and let's just assume that perhaps it is true of us, that we will come to church, and we will go to Bible studies, and we will show up to prayer meetings, and we'll participate in prayer and fasting, and what this is suggesting is that very little of the goodness that we are experiencing in relationship to God is flowing out in our own neighborhoods. And I wonder if this is true, but this is an, uh, an easy way for us to assess in the room. So we're not going to raise any, don't raise your hand, okay? Don't, I'll just, I'm not even going to make eye contact with anyone, okay? I'm just going to look at the crowd. But there's an easy way for us to assess this. And I'm going to give you statistically how you compare to the vast majority of other people. So if we took a test this morning, I wonder how many of you could, on a piece of paper, let's say you just wrote the numbers one through eight, listed them on a piece of paper, how many of you could name the eight closest neighbors next to you? If you live on a block, the four people to your right or the four people to your left? How many of you could say their names? If you live in a complex, how many of you could say the names of the four neighbors across the hall and the two right next to you? Okay, don't, don't give me any poker faces. Okay, let me tell you the results. Only 10% of people can tell you the names of their eight closest neighbors. 
Only 3% of people can tell you any relevant information about their lives and less than 1% could tell you any in-depth information that they learned about them uh, in, in relationship with them. And I have a confession that before Kayla and I moved to the Bay Area, this was true of us. We were working at a big church and so much of our time was consumed with what was happening in the church and we loved it because we had so many opportunities to serve people and to partner with people to do wonderful things. But this was a problem, is that when I came home, all I wanted to do was to open up my garage, park my truck in the garage, open the door, eat some dinner, and watch some TV. I was too tired to want to engage my neighbors. And so these are how the, the statistics would have applied to me. I could not have told you anything in depth about one of my neighbors, and I lived in that house for three and a half years. I knew that uh, the person right next to me was a professor at a community college, and on the other side, he worked in the oil fields. That's all the relevant information I knew about them, and I only knew two people's names on my entire block, in my entire neighbor, only two neighbors' names. And as I read through this, we have to ask ourselves this question, how is it possible that the greatest command that Jesus gave us was to love our neighbors as ourselves. And yet maybe for most of us, and don't let me project on you, but if you're like me, we have not even engaged our own neighborhood. And I'm not talking about starting a Bible study. I'm just talking about being friends with people. But there was a shift. There was a pivot in our life. When we first moved to the Bay Area to start the church, someone gave me a book and it was called The Art of Neighboring. And when we started doing like all the church planting assessment parts of planting the church, one of the things they said was, they said, Daniel, you cannot expect to create a culture or a community of people doing something that you have not already established as a rhythm and a value in your own life. And so we took that real seriously. We said, hey, we don't want to tell people to do stuff that we haven't committed to do ourselves. And so we read this amazing book, and it was so compelling, and it talked about the art of neighboring and the value of making relationships with people who you live in close proximity to. And so I remember I was a little upset when we first moved to the Bay Area. Okay, now I grew up in the Bay Area, but I've been gone for a while, and I'm just going to be transparent here. The thing that I was upset about is I'm like, these people are not friendly. We would literally be walking down you okay you know what I'm talking about you'd be walking down the hall it's only you and it's only them and you make eye contact and you nod your head hey what's up you even may verbalize a statement and they just keep walking all right they don't even acknowledge that you were there and so I was a little bitter I was a little salty at first but I thought this is no way to start a church all right you gotta love the people you start a church with and so one Christian came around, we had just read the book, and I said, Kayla, what if, what if we got old school on this complex, and we started, we decided to bake cookies for every unit, and we just go around and we meet our neighbors, and Kayla's like, you're crazy? Because number one, you don't bake, and so when you say we, you mean me. <laughs> but by God's grace, I convinced Kayla, we had, we had 200 units uh, in our complex. We ran out of cookies. We did not get to everybody. Uh, we missed, the, we missed the last 25 units, and, uh, and we decided a few, a few days, maybe a week before Christmas, that we were going to go door to door. We wrapped them up in little cellophane, and we put a little note, and uh, we put, we put my, cell, my, my cell phone number on it. And one by one, we just started knocking on people's doors. It took several hours. 
the kids were with us, uh, and it was, it, was, uh, it was a labor of love. And I would love to tell you that every person we met was, was like so excited that some random family showed up on their doorstep. But that wasn't true. I'd love to tell you that we weren't awkward and like we knew how to have a conversation with a stranger. Also not true, okay? I'd love to tell you that the complex asked us to never do that again. Our, but they did. But here's the crazy thing. We probably met about 100 people that evening. And no one seemed super excited, but over the course of the next several days, we would show up from being out and we would see on our door bottles of wine. And people wrote a little note, thank you so much for stopping by the house. Or we'd see little packages of cookies or little cards and gift cards. And like day after day, people were just dropping by little thank yous in response to that one little act of kindness. And, uh, and it was a powerful moment. And what transpired over the course of the next several years is that many of those people that we met that night became lifelong friends for us. Like our kids go to parks. We were just, I was just surfing with a guy yesterday that we met uh, that Christmas when we gave cookies out. And he's become one of my best friends. We've seen several of those people eventually start attending church here at Eden, several of those people making decisions to follow Jesus and to get baptized in this church. And I'm not saying that that is the goal. Because in this passage, all it is asking us to do is to love our neighbors as ourselves. But this is a crazy thing, is that when we do, that sort of stuff starts to happen. When you act like a friend to someone, you cannot help but begin to influence them in a deep way. You cannot help but have to start, start having deep conversations about life and family and meaning and purpose. And that is all that Jesus is asking us to do. So the question is then how do we become great neighbors? I'm not saying pass out cookies, okay? I'm not saying go and mow your neighbor's lawn. But I think if we said what is the baby step? Like how do we begin any kind of relationship in our life? You gotta know people's names, right? Isn't there like a huge difference that happens in your relationship from, hey, what's up, man? Or good to see you, guy, to what's up, Matt? It's good to see you, Emily, right? When you start calling someone by their name, it is this one little step that starts to link your lives together. And so I would say, if you have moved into a new neighborhood relatively recently, this is an amazing opportunity because this is what I'll say, the longer that you know someone or you see someone but you do not know their name, the more awkward it gets when you finally do get their name, okay? I've done that to some of you in the room, okay? I apologize, okay? I've seen you for a while, we never got your name. But let's change that today, I'll be at the guest table. <laughs> but get somebody's name. And you're like, well, how am I gonna do that? Am I just gonna go talk to them and say, what's your name? I don't know. But this is what I do know. If you start praying for an opportunity, God will give you an opportunity. And let's just say you're praying for an opportunity for a month and you have not seen it, then you just gotta be intentional, okay? God's saying, I'm challenged. The opportunity is to go and just meet them. And it doesn't have to be awkward. It doesn't have to be a long conversation. But what if in one month from now, Every single one of us knew the eight closest neighbors in our neighborhood. I promise you, 
that you would begin to have community in a way that you've never experienced before. When you begin to get to know your neighbors. Because this is the bottom line, is that we will never have to have the opportunity to care for the people who we don't know. And I gotta ask you another question. I'm not sure how you process this. But why do you think God has you in the Bay Area right now? Because I'll just tell you, in some ways, this ain't the most exciting place to be, okay? On paper, it looks good, live in the Bay Area. But you actually live here, it's kind of hard, right? Consumed by work. Some of us have toxic work cultures. People are so focused and driven towards success that they don't even have time for the type of community that they long for. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone ever felt that? They're like, man, I wish I had friends. And some people call you up and they say, hey, you want to go hang out? And you say, no, I'm busy. We want friends, we don't have time, right? And so we live in an area where there's so much tension to feel satisfaction and connected. But imagine if God had you here for the people that he placed you around. What if your purpose in the Bay Area, in this season of life, is the neighborhood that he has planted you in? Can you imagine the level of impact that your life would have? I wonder how different our lives would be if we took seriously the command to actually love our neighbors. And so that's the challenge this week. Let's begin praying for an opportunity to get to know the people around us. And let's watch what God will do with a heart that is faithful to step into those relationships. I know that there are some of you that are here today and maybe your posture is like, hey, I just showed up to church. A friend invited me or I saw some ad on social media and for whatever reason my heart was open to stepping into a place like this and having a conversation like the one we had this morning. But you're like, I am not even sure where I stand with God. And maybe for you today, the step is not to start thinking about how to reach out to your neighbor, but, but how to begin a relationship with God. And if that's you this morning, I just want to invite you into that opportunity. I want to invite you to the opportunity to cross the finish line of faith and to say, God, this morning I'm ready. I'm ready to surrender my heart. I'm ready to begin a new season of life with you. And so uh, we're going to take a moment as we wrap up our time together. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And if this morning your heart is longing for that relationship with God, I'm going to ask you to just pray this simple prayer after me in your heart. And there's nothing special about these words, but it's whether or not these words reflect the condition and the desire of your heart that you long to be in relationship with God. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to repeat these words after me in your heart. Dear God, thank you for loving me and for caring for me when I wanted nothing to do with you. And I just want to thank you for not giving up and reminding me today of how much you love me. And today I'm ready to decide and believe that you love me enough to send your son to the cross who sacrificed his life on my behalf so that I did not have to carry the weight of sin on my shoulders. Today, God, I'm ready to surrender my life to you. 
I'm ready for you to do a new work in me. I'm ready for a new hope because I know that I can't do it on my own. I'm ready for you to come into my heart. And I just ask that you would give me the strength to follow you in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And I'm gonna ask those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart just to take one more step of faith. And part of this is just because we know that when, when we respond outwardly to what God is doing spiritually inside of us, it becomes this moment that he solidifies in our heart. And that's our prayer this morning, is that you would allow for God to do what only he can do inside of you. So if that's you, if you prayed this morning on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. Number one, God loves you so much. Two, you didn't show up to this place by accident. Three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning if you made that decision. I see you, I see you, I see you. Any others? Any others today? If you prayed that prayer and you're tuning in online, go ahead and let, let the host know online. There's a little button at the bottom of the screen and they would love to get you connected with some more resources to help you continue to grow in your relationship with God. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have. Lord, you never envisioned that it would just be for us. But once it was in us, we would spread it to those around us. And sometimes, God, you called us to step outside of what feels normal or comfortable, but to engage in relationships with those in proximity to us, Lord, because you love them and you died for them. And there are so many people all around us that show up and they look fine on the outside, but they are broken on the inside. And they're just longing for someone to reach out. God, would you just empower this community to be those types of people? A people of promise. A people who are slowly being formed in your image. Becoming who you dreamed that we could be. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you do me a favor this morning? Let's celebrate every life that stepped into faith for the first time.